up? This is Elliot Einhorn. Welcome back to the Talk House Podcast. Today I'm joined by Annie Fell, Associate Editor. And we have a very cool show for you today. This is part three, the third episode that we recorded live at Pitchfork Music Festival 2018. You've already heard Japanese Breakfast in conversation with Alex Cameron. You've already heard Vagabond in conversation with Julie Byrne. Well, on today's episode, we have two of the most amazing voices alive. Zola Jesus in conversation with Circuit Desu. Haley Four, known by her stage moniker Circuit Desu, is a real hometown hero in Chicago. I have to say I'm a huge fan. This was my first time getting to see her. She's fantastic. I've never seen her live, but I can just tell from her recordings that she would put on an incredible show. Speaking of recordings, her record Reaching for Indigo, which dropped late last year on Drag City, was absolutely one of my favorite LPs of 2017. It also happened to be one of the favorites of none other than Sonic Youth's Lee Ronaldo, who not only reviewed the album for us, but actually pitched the idea to do it himself. Yes, what a cosign. Now, like Lee Ronaldo, Haley Four experiments with a lot of different sounds. Circuit Des You is at times more folky, sometimes has more of a 60s doors, sort of Jefferson Airplane psych rock vibe, and at other times really gets experimental. And as if there weren't enough sounds just in that project, she's got like three other ones going at the same time. Yeah, like Jackie Lynn, which is sort of a drug-fueled Americana outlaw type alter ego who's always on the move. And for that project, she uses mostly like synths and drum machines. And then again, just last month, she released a cover of the French singer Catherine Ribeiro's Sur de Ross. I hope I'm saying that properly. And she's also touring a live ensemble soundtrack to the 1923 silent film adaptation, Salome. She is a true renaissance woman. She really it's, it's is. so impressive. <laughs> she really is. I'd never met Haley Ford, but she's someone I'd wanted to have on the podcast for a long time. But she and Zola Jesus do go back a while. They do. They actually have known each other for a decade and seemingly haven't seen each other since then, (laughs) which is pretty crazy. Right. They first met playing a show together. Now, listeners, just in case you've been living under a rock for the last number of years, Zola Jesus, a.k.a. Nika Rosa Danilova, is one of the most amazing singers around. She's a Sacred Bones recording artist who occupies a space somewhere between goth queen and pop superstar. Yes, totally. As she calls herself on Twitter, Young Zeej. She's so good on Twitter. She is absolutely my Twitter personality of the year. Last year, Zola Jesus released a very powerful record named Okovi. Now, the translation for that in, in every Slavic language, it turns out, is Shackles. The title alludes to a lot of the darkness and depression that was happening in Danilova's life around the time of her writing this. She had a lot going on all at once. Yeah, not only was she herself battling depression, but actually a close friend of hers had a couple suicide attempts and another good friend was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And and this record really does reflect a lot of that darkness. Somehow, though, as with all of Zola Jesus's music, it still makes you want to dance. She's incredibly talented at like exploring emotional nuance through her music in a way that not a lot of other people are. Totally. 
She also invited some remixers to explore the emotional nuance, and this year she released Okovi Editions, which has a few songs that weren't on the original record, and then some really fucking cool remixes. Let's play a little bit of Ash to Bone, Johnny Jewel remix. It's beautiful stuff, right? It's so beautiful. And, and now that we've heard some Circuit Des You, now that we've heard some Zola Jesus, you can see why I'm saying these are two of the most amazing voices in music right now. Zola Jesus actually has classical training. Right. She's a classically trained opera singer. It's amazing. Now, Haley Ford, it's been said, actually has an amazing four octave range. Which is actually not so far off from Mariah Carey's range. I want a Christmas record from Circuit Des Yeux. Yeah, I need that collab stat. <laughs> now, with these two powerhouse singers, of course, one of the things that they get into in this conversation is how to take care of your instrument. They talk about vocal maintenance during grueling tours and why Joanna Newsom stayed silent for two months straight. And they get into so much more. We hear about astrology, Annie. We hear about sun signs, rising signs. They talk about that rare but potent moment of onstage transcendence. I was also fascinated to hear about the way that business and emotional intimacy are sort of necessary confluences for each of them. Yeah, along with the push and pull of working with collaborators. We also hear about Haley's recurring fear that it's all over. Also the diva move you can pull on your show writers. And how they're both people who go to 11 all the time. The talk starts with Nika making a joke. Check it out. Hi. Hi. It's great to see you. Good to see you again, too. It's been one week since you looked at me. It, it's been... Sorry. Ah, I, can we start over? <laughs> All right. I'm done. Um, no, it's been like, what? Like 30, 40 years. I don't know how at long least, it's been. Because I'm 128 yeah, this year. Yeah, I'm 129. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, so yeah, 2009, no. 2008. 2008. 10 years and it was a legendary show in which nobody attended yeah those that attended did not want to be there right because they did not know they were going to a show they were there for bingo actually yeah and the lineup the all cast lineup was solo jesus as a four-piece band Mm -hmm. u.s girls solo with a reel-to-reel machine yes myself on guitar (laughs) as circuit does you Katie Lemming as Bird. Oh, Katie. Us together, we played in a duo called Cro-Magnon. Classic. And then Girls of the Gravitron, which was actually all men uh, from Memphis. Yeah. And then we were on like, we were on some comps or something. I don't know. How did we even meet? Just maybe through like this, the, the scene. Uh, like record forums. Yeah. You remember those. I'm winking. You guys can't hear I mean, yeah, we can just keep it at that. We don't need to talk specifics. We don't need to go into handle names or anything like that. Nobody needs to know which message boards we were on (laughs) in 2008. But we were anomalies in a way, you know, like being young women. Not being like 45-year-old men that live in their parents' basement. Yeah, and I got off that message board after like the thread of like KFC versus Popeye started. And I was like, why am I on here? Oh, I think I was gone after that. Kind of went off the rails. Yeah. Oh, man. But anyhow, here we are. Here we are. 
Sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm really proud of everything that you've done. Thank you. Not like proud of, but I'm just like, I'm, pr I'm proud of it. Like, I don't know. It's really good. And I feel like, you know, watching you evolve as a musician and as an artist and also as a technician has been really cool, like from the outside. And, and also your integrity is, is like really admirable and beautiful. Thank so it's you. been cool to see. It's been a slow rise. It always is. That's how it should be though. I learned that the hard way. Yeah. Something I would like to ask you about because this festival circuit is new to me and it's something you've yeah. been doing for a long time. Do you have a separate set for festivals as opposed to like a regular Zola Jesus show? Well, because there's usually shorter sets, I just play the hits. I just shut up and play the hits or I'll just like play bangers because it's like no one wants to hear. I don't know. I don't know that people have the patience for like the slow burn torch singing ballads, even though that's my that's my interior bread and butter. Like that's what I love. But I think people that are coming to a festival and are walking by the the stage while I'm playing. Like that's not what, they're not gonna come to the stage. So I'm just like, okay, I'll just play this stuff with like beats or whatever. I don't wanna say that in like a derogatory way, but you know, just something that has more energy. Sure, yeah. yeah, good on you. I've yet to like create those bangers, I think. But also like, fuck it. Sorry, can I? Yeah, it's like a podcast, right? Fuck it, you know, because at the same time, just I try to do that, but then I'm just kind of like, like today I sang a song, like a, a really emotional, personal song about my uncle who attempted suicide. And I'm like, I'm not going to not play this song. Like, I think that these people do need to hear it too, you know? So it's just like, if they like it, they'll like it, you know? Yeah. 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 I'm curious to know what your sun, moon, and ascendant sign are. It's so tough, man. All right, here you go. My sun sign is a Sagittarius. Wow. Oh, that's that checks out. I'm born the year of the dragon, mm. so it's extra fiery. I just Damn. singe everyone around me. Tell me about My it. My rising sign <laughs> is Aries. Oh, girl, what's up? That's my sun. Also a fire sign. How are you this chill? What's your moon? Aquarius. Oh, so that kind of... That's just like... That's wow. the only like chill part of me. Yeah. That's a lot of intensity. It's too much <laughs> passion. Like, yeah, I feel sorry for everyone involved in my life because I'm just so passionate about everything. I know. It's Tell me unrealistic. About it. <laughs> <laughs> me too. As an as an Aries, I have a tendency to go like either like I'm just going to the extremes of things where I'm just like, yeah, like I'm just like, oh, there's so much intensity that I have that people are like, okay, chill, you're okay, like. You know, you don't need to go to 11 all the time. All right. And then, okay. So I have a question for you then. And, you know, this form of career, you've expanded a lot. Like you've done a lot of records with strings and other composers, JG Thurwell. I have an issue where sometimes I get an idea and I get so excited and it's just unrealistic. And the end result is never what I had in mind, you know, where I'm like, oh yeah, I should get like an orchestra behind me. And then it's like actually a four piece or yeah. something. How do you deal with this? Do you have these ideas yeah. too? Do you feel disappointed? Do you ever reach the internal oh, yeah. like goal? No, no. Being an artist is living in perpetual disappointment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's like the whole thing. You're just, you're a total masochist because you're like, oh, this would be, or even as, as much as me just sitting down and writing a song, I'm like, I can hear it in my head and I can see like my potential and then I'll lay it down 
And then I'm just like, this sucks. This is not good. And then, you know, it's a really complicated process for somebody because I think it's really hard for someone or anyone to make music and be like, this is what I want to do. And they just do it. Mm -hmm. I don't know those people. They either don't exist or I don't know where they are. I find you have to lean on people a little bit more heavily. um, Like if you want to have like a larger, I don't know, just accomplish something larger. Yeah. Where do you find the people that you bring into that sphere? It's so hard. Okay, this is a whole other thing, but so I'm going to go off for a minute, but it's so hard for me because I don't want to rely on people because being a solo musician and also I don't want like to play the woman card, but also like being a woman, people just expect that I'm not writing my songs. I'm not producing. I'm not like in there like EQing and you know what I mean? Like mixing as well. And, and engineering and it just like, so then whenever I do work with people, I feel like I'm almost failing because I'm like perpetuating the idea. So I'm like, oh, I should be doing everything myself. But then when I do, I feel worse about it because I can't, you know, it's, it's a lot of fucking work to be like the writer, the producer, the engineer, playing all the instruments, like, and then you're having to perform it and you're creating the art and you're, and it's like, I want to have control over all those things, but then everything suffers. And so it's hard for me to, to let somebody in because I need to know that they're going to respect like my neuroses about that. You know, the sensitivities to being like, I don't want to feel like I'm just a part, but at the same time, whenever I do open my music or art up to somebody new or somebody else, I like it more because it becomes active or dynamic or live. Like the people that I bring in, if I, I trust them all the time, I wouldn't work with people I don't trust. But once I bring them in, it's like they're coming with their experiences, their tastes, their inclinations. And it just makes a song more than you, beyond you, you know, and it, it, it becomes part of a patchwork that you couldn't do on your own. And so I'm trying to get over my ego being like, I don't, you know, who cares? You know, I grapple with that too. Yeah. I traveling with like, you know, four or five people at a time and Mm -hmm. you all have different needs. There's a lot of ego and Mm -hmm. it's hard for me to give people that space. And I've thought about, you know, like letting my own ego fall to the side, but then Mm -hmm. I think the art suffers too. Totally. If you're not going to be like, no, actually you need to sound like this or, yeah, you know, you kind of got to stand up for yourself in that way. Yeah. Without like being a total diva. I know. And honestly, like, a lot of people that I start working with professionally become like interpersonal mm-hmm. right away. Like it's just hundred percent so real that now they're in the fold of like so many other aspects of my life. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard for me to work with somebody in like almost like a business context. Like I, there needs to be this like intimacy in order for me to feel like comfortable with that. And that's why the people that I work with, like, the guy that was on stage with me today, Alex DeGroat, he's been with me since 2009 or something, 2010. And, you know, he's stuck with me and he's helped me in engineering and mixing and and stuff because I trust him. Mm -hmm. And because it's like, I trust him. And I also know that he believes in what I'm doing. And it's just hard when you bring people in where you're just like, you don't, I can't suss out their motives, you know, or feel it just feels cold. Cause like what we do is so precious to us. Yeah, I, I think it's safe to say we both make rather personal compositions. Yeah. Not to sh- stray away too far from this, but uh, we were talking about you living in isolation mm-hmm. as opposed to me living in the city. When you are going on these trips with other musicians, do you rehearse? Where do you rehearse? 
together. Yeah. What's your musical practice, I guess, like to gear up for a tour or mm-hmm. a festival? Usually um, I will all meet in L.A. or somewhere. Sometimes we met in New York and um, we'll rehearse for three days, eight hours a day for three days. And that's usually enough mm-hmm. because everyone's come doing prep work going like you learned your parts, you know, we all know what we're going to bring. And then we just kind of make sure it all fits together. But it's still really like disciplined. I've been pretty lucky with rehearsing, but also I work within a different context than you where I work with like a lot of electronics and a lot of track, which gives me, a, you know, it's easier to just kind of like fill in the blanks, which is a whole other thing that I resent, but it just works for my music. <laughs> Um, yeah, or like with the backing track, you hit ugh. it or you miss it, right? Yeah, but it's like, I'm just, I hate it. But I you hate always it. hit it. You never miss uh, it. Girl, I always hit it. No. <laughs> Actually, no, I don't. <laughs> no, I, it's something that I, I deeply wish that I could perform without, but then I have to have like four or five people on tour with me, and then I'm losing money, and then I'm, it's costing me money to be on tour, and then I'm just like, I need a job, then I can get a job because I'm touring. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like a snake eating its tail. So tracks kind of work for what I do. And what about your voice? What is your vocal practice? Like just on the regular daily, like if you're at home for four mm-hmm. weeks or something. Starting in 2012, I reestablished my relationship with my old opera instructor And no matter where I am, I do Skype lessons with her once or twice a week. And so I've been doing that since 2012 and um, making sure that my voice is like on a classical and operatic level in healthy shape. And then from there, I, you know, I try to at least practice or sing and make sure it's strong. I've been kind of bad lately, but typically when I'm like gearing up for something, I make sure that my voice is, you know, the whole range is there and that it's, it's done in a healthy way. Because in the past I sang in a very unhealthy way that had a lot of tension and wasn't um, sustainable. So, yeah. I'm, yeah, I generally do things like pretty weekly, like on the regular, mm-hmm. but I recently came out of tour and sort of had the tour blues and spent three weeks kind of disengaging. And then, yeah, Pitchfork comes and you yeah. play like three shows in two days or something. And yeah. I was suffering from some serious vocal fatigue just from rehearsing. Mm-hmm. I've never had that before. It's a real like mortality wake up call. It's scary. I feel like it might be similar, you know, like, well, I'm going to be 30 at the end of the year. And yeah, it's almost like the hangover thing. You know how people are like, oh, I get hungover now. It's like my hangover thing is like now my voice needs like two weeks of prep before yeah. I do, do you this. warm up before shows? Yeah, every yeah. time. Yeah. I've told people in my like tight circle, like if I'm not doing vocal warmups, that's when you know you need to intervene because I'm seriously depressed. Oh, You know, I mean, that hasn't happened yeah. in a while, yeah. but that's like the indicator of like- You're just like, fuck this. Yeah. 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 I've been there too. Yeah. I feel my best when I, that's at the top of my mind. Like I need it because sometimes I regard, I regard touring like, like being, it's like an athletic practice, you know? And sometimes people that aren't used to touring a lot and they'll see me on tour, they're like, aren't you going to come out after the show and party? I'm like, dude, I lose my voice on tour without doing that. Like when I'm on tour or when I'm like having to perform a lot, that, that takes, that's paramount to everything. Like I can't, I'm not going to hang, you know, because it's like, if I stay out and if I drink even like, one drink, 
my voice is shot the next day because it's very fragile. So if I don't treat it well, it'll, it'll go away instantly. And then I've performed shows like my first, oh my God. So my record came out in, in October or whatever. And then I had my first tour for that, supporting that record. My first show was LA. It was a really big show. The day before the show, I get sick and I lose my voice. And for the first week and a half of tour, I had no voice. And it was, it's one of the most emotionally debilitating experiences to feel like this is the only thing I have to do. My only reason for being alive is to perform music. And I can't do that because nothing is coming out. I always go to the deep end of like, this is it. It's gone forever. What have I done? And then like the psychological train starts running. And then like, I feel like my voice gets worse because of it. Yeah. That's a big trap I've fallen into. I thought I had polyps for a second. And yeah, Joanna Newsom uh, had a similar issue a few years ago and Mm. she told me she didn't speak for two months and it cured Mm. itself. There you go. You need to let the voice heal. At the beginning of this week, I was like, shit, this might be my two months of silence, but here I am. We're talking. We're talking. Yeah, I can hear my voices whenever, whatever happens. (laughs) Also, at some point, you know, and this is something that maybe you can also identify with, but you know, we've both been touring for so long and doing this now for quite a while that like, I know my voice is going to come back. I can listen to my voice. I, f- I know it well enough to know where it's at, you know? Yeah. Whereas in the, in the beginning when I wasn't really like, my relationship with my voice was very disconnected. If I lost it or if I didn't treat it well, like I couldn't understand it. And now I do. It's like, you feel more linked up to it where I know what it needs to, to get better. So what's on your writer? Ha <laughs> ha. Red wine. What That's kind? Really Do you it. like like a red or like cab like, or pinot? I like cab and Malbec and like Medoc and like dry reds. Yeah. Dry reds are good. And scotch, which is horrible for the voice. <laughs> Japanese whiskey, which no one ever gets. <laughs> I do socks. Some socks people think great. that's like a diva move or, no. you know, like stamps and letters. Oh, that's cute. I want to do that. Yeah. I like that. I feel like maybe like the promoters think you're like a better person or something. I don't know. <laughs> you just put it on just to make them feel better. Like like black socks are like, give me a break. And they're like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like letters with postage. Yeah. That's so Aww. sweet of you. Of course I'll do that. You don't want to eat, but you want to send a letter back to your family to let them know you're okay. That's my biggest pet peeve. Like I've been the opening woman for mm-hmm. like three years. I haven't done it in a year and a half. Just want to say that out loud. Good on me. <laughs> However... Um, one thing is like not getting food. Like mm-hmm. when the like the opener, like, sorry, we don't have a buyout for you. And I'm like, thanks, because I don't eat. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like I've told my agents, like, even if I make $10 less from the guarantee, the door deal, just give me a buyout. Yeah. Just psychologically, it's better for me. Totally. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Something that I need to feel like human. Totally. Yeah. I was on a co-headline tour recently and I didn't even get like my rider. I was just like... I'm on a co-headline tour. I don't even get my rider. That's like where the it's existential like, Yeah, it's like at comes. what point? Yeah, it, it can be hard. Because it's like also when you're on tour, like you need that. You've been in a van like for eight hours. You you get there, you want your you want your hummus. Like just get give me my hummus. I'm starving. Totally. Vegetables are yeah. practically endangered. Seriously, yeah. I know. Actually, no, I have a question regarding the, the rider. Do you drink on tour? Yeah. 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 What do you it drink? D- depends how I'm feeling. Bullet rye is oh, it's good. my thing. Neat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes I'll do red wine. Nice. But I don't drink like carbonation before I 
play just because that's like obvious yeah issue it dries it out it's not um, good yeah yeah it depends i go through waves of discipline man like, yeah me too right now not so much same. gotta say same depends on where you are too where you're like the further you get into touring, the the more your discipline disintegrates or phrase where I'm like, oh, whatever. The hardest thing for me to find is a place to do warmups because it's a mm. loud action and you're yes. sharing a green room with a lot of people. I've walked around town and done that for a couple of years. And then you get people yelling out their windows to like yeah. shut up or like to try and go to sleep. That's the hardest thing about because you, you need to warm up before you sing. Like that is so imperative. But then when you're in a backstage and it's like a small room where you don't even really have a backstage, like last night I played the empty bottle and there was like three bands sharing the back room and I'm like, I can't do it. It's loud. It's super loud. Your van's like out front. Yeah. People smoking can hear you. Yeah. No. Yeah. And that, that becomes a huge issue and I know. And then, then it ends up like compromising the show and. I don't know. This is another thing that sucks too, is so often I feel like I'm not even given a shot. (laughs) You know what I mean? At what? At like having, when like playing a show or something, like never even getting a shot to like do it right. Sure. Because there are so many compromises. The music has already been compromised. I always talked about earlier. But like then like you're on tour, you've been driving all day, you're getting sick and it's like there's no place to warm up and like, you know, there's, you just don't feel like you can actually like give your best show because the circumstances are kind of, it's rough, you know? That was a big lesson I learned this year touring with a larger band is sometimes a show is about like what you ate. It's not about, yeah. or it's about how your upright bassist is dealing with like his sprained ankle. It has nothing yeah. to do with the music at hand. Totally, yeah. Just the way the world goes. And it makes me feel bad because then people are at the show and they're like, Oh, that was all right. I've been waiting to see you for like three years, four years, whatever. And then you feel bad because you couldn't give them the show that they deserve. I did have a great show recently in Austria. It was um, oh, the cool. Now Festival. Oh, yeah, that's a good festival. And there's this thing that used to happen almost every time I performed, and now it happens still frequently. Mm-hmm. It's this like transcendence thing mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. the sound is perfect and you're like hitting everything and the energy is there and the audience is with you and no cell phones are out. Yeah. Even. And I mean, I'm talking about this show I played like three months ago. Yeah. And like I'll probably continue to speak about it for a year to come. And those are like maybe becoming fewer and farther in between, but still like the jam. It's what keeps you going. Yeah, that because that feeling of having that transcendent experience on stage, it's like I wouldn't tour if not for those shows that happen once, like twice a year or like once every couple months where it's just like everything hits. And then it's it's almost like a drug where you feel like you're connected to something like not to get kind of like spiritual, but it just feel like everything's locked in and it's just like intoxicating. When was the last time it happened for you? Um, tonight was, today was pretty good, but the last time it was like so good. I played, actually I played Roadburn Festival in the Netherlands and that was good. Everything has to be right. The audience has to be right. The sound has to be right. The lighting has to be right. It can't be distracting. It can't, but it's, you know, but I'm, I love it. I'm very sensitive to lights. Yeah. I like stop shows because of lights actually. That's such a silly thing to do. No. Or to think about in hindsight, but 
lights are important. They're often an afterthought yeah. for a larger part of someone's career until they hit a point and they're like, wait a minute, I just what, tell them what I want. What, what was your issue with them? Oh, no front lights. Yeah. I do not want to be seen. Yeah. Basically. Like yeah. if I could just be an orb of light or like yeah. a shadow my whole career, that's yeah. the goal. Yeah. So it's just the sound. Yeah. This is, and this is something that's been really frustrating too. And this is, I think why I lean towards like more, I don't want to use the word theatrical, but more like of a visual demonstration of the music is because it's like, there's always this visual incarnation of what you're doing, whether you know, people are going to see you live or you have to make a music video. And so there's like this thing that you have to have control over. I, it's, it's a hard thing to try to like reconcile, you know, cause it's like when you go see a band play, you don't really just want to see people just like playing, you know what I mean? Like, because it's, you're not using a whole dimension of the experience. And so I try to go the other way where it's like lights and projections and, and, and really try to, you know, uh, materialize the music in a visual way. But sometimes I just wish that it could just go away and I could just really focus on the music, you know, because just because that dimension is there, I feel like I need to make sure that it's taken care of. I think that's a really strong point on you. I mean, I haven't necessarily kept in touch, but just like the snippets I see on the internet, you're obviously a very like visual artist. Do you have like synesthesia? I don't know that I do. I think every musician says they do. And so I'm not, I'm, I'm going to say no, but I think music is seen because of just, because of the nature of how you, how you experience it. When you're listening to music, you know, where you're somewhere, you're not listening to it in a dark room. And if you are, that's perfect. But you know, with your eyes closed, but usually you're walking around a city or you're watching a music video or you're at a show or you're working on homework or you're paying your bills, you know? So it's like, there's this aspect where the music is part of an environment. And so I don't, I like having control over the whole environment rather than just like letting people fill in the blanks because it just, it's there. The environment is already there. It's just about making use of it, you know? That just t wears me out thinking of all that verbal communication. <laughs> what do <laughs> you mean? to happen, you know? That, I mean, this is all very yeah. true, but you have to verbally communicate to so many people what you need to get that across. Oh, I know. That's why I just want to do everything myself. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I make, when I, when I do a music video, I make all these mood boards. I, I, I come up with the, the whole idea and I tell them this is what it needs to feel like and look like. And doing the show, I come up with the mood board for that. And I try to, I have to visualize everything. Which is, yeah, it's like another aspect then. So you not only are writing, you're producing, you're engineering, you're mixing, you're promoting, you're performing, you're also controlling the visual aspects, you're controlling the business aspects. And it's, it's yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> Lyric writing, which is another thing. Yeah, what, where do you find inspiration for your lyrics? Usually I just say things that I feel like I need to tell myself and then I figure very likely other people need to hear that too. Is it like word vomit or is it more, I don't know, calculated? Not calculated. Yeah, word vomit. And then almost like declarative. Yeah, I dig the declarations. Mm -hmm. Though sometimes it's kind of cheesy because I'm like, when, you, when I think back to what, I, if, if I actually said the things that I was singing in the songs, that's so basic, but then... Yeah, but you're in a different portal. You know, you're like manifesting something. It's like I think. a minimal, I don't know. It's like minimalism. But yeah, yeah well, how about you? It takes a long time. I think I just like grab things from life. And then after like eight months, like 
suddenly like it all coalesces in this mm-hmm. like slightly schizophrenic way where I'm like, yeah. it's all connected. And then there's the song, you <laughs> yeah, know? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of unexplainable, but also like very a feeling of relief after totally. the fact. Yeah. I have an issue with singing things that don't make direct sense, which is again, probably an Aries thing where things need to be like very direct, not like I don't go around the bend for things. There's not like a lot of like florid poetry to my lyrics because when I sing, it's like I'm, I'm yelling it, you know, I'm like trying to shout it at myself and at people. And so I can't be like the whimsy of the leaves is growing on the scale, on the scales of earth. And I'm just like, that is I can't, like, you can't yell that at somebody. And they're just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did a tour with this reminds me of this tour I did with Julia Holter and I asked her about her lyrics she's like has such an amazing imagination mm-hmm. and they're kind of nonsensical yeah she has this song Betsy on the roof and I was like is Betsy a cow I feel like Betsy is a cow <laughs> and she's like I don't know I just all of my lyrics just come out of my brain and I just leave them there yeah and if you look back at it I mean she's a great storyteller and creates this like imaginary world but they're all so nonsensical yeah it's it's kind of powerful. It's awesome, and she's lucky that I think like the way that she sings them, she sings in a way that allows that space for for there to be like poetic sort of like like exquisite corpse, like that surrealist <laughs> game, you know, where it's like, I wish I could do that because I feel like that's so much more interesting. But I just yeah, it's almost like Laurie Anderson. Her totally yeah lyrics are just they have like a tinge of humor and totally just otherworldly. Yeah. Woman is just like out there. She's amazing. Yeah. But she's, she strikes me as someone that's almost like a poet. Yes. You know, she's a poet, like someone like her, like Patti Smith or like really true lyricists. They're almost like a poet or a writer first, you know, and just packaging it up. And then, yeah. Whereas I feel like my like lyric writing is underneath my, my like the, like the sound, the sonics. Well, should we do a last question? Yeah. Do you think you're an extrovert or an introvert? I'm definitely an introvert unless I maybe have some alcohol in me. Yeah. Touche. Yeah. So is touring hard for you? Do you feel like you just need to, like, I need to get away from people? Like, I feel I so drained. Much. Yeah. Socially. Just yeah. even just, I get very paranoid about everyone's happiness. I'm like mm-hmm. tour mama. But I have people in my band who are like, some of the smartest people on earth Mm, and they're very communicative which is so wonderful to hear them like spout off about like novels and records and I'm just kind of in the back trying to like harness my energy for the lighting guy to tell him like no front lights yeah totally do you have a lighting writer I do but I don't have a lighting engineer but you should I don't either but I always make sure that they get a lighting writer and you just write things in capital and bold them yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was a new thing for me the last couple of years, but mm. it's definitely helpful. Yeah, it is. What helpful. about you? What do you think? Introvert, extrovert? <sighs> I'm such an introvert. Like I'm like a introverts can perform as extroverts, and so I I perform really well. Where I can be like, da 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 da. I'm making gestures. You guys can't see them, but then it takes me like I need like after this day, I can't. I'll need to just like be in a dark room for like two days just because it's like one day of intense socializing and like communicating with people and just being around people. I need to like regroup for like a day or two and just like lay in bed and, and watch some like true crime documentaries. Sounds Talk wonderful. To nobody. Yeah. I won't see you there, but I'll be doing my own dark room. Yeah. Hell yeah, girl. <laughs> good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. <laughs> 
Nika, Haley, I hope that you have been healed by your time back in the dark rooms. Thank you so much for joining us on the Talk House podcast. Now, listeners, you might have heard the names J.G. Thorwell and Julia Holter in this talk. Well, each of those amazing artists has actually been a guest on previous Talk House podcast episodes. You can check those out on iTunes or Stitcher. And while you're there, make sure to subscribe because next week we have an amazing episode coming up. We've got a sweet, sweet double feature featuring Fleet Foxes with Nilifer Yanya. We've got Blood Orange with Raphael Sadiq. And we have a brand new theme song premiering, and I'm not going to tell you which amazing artist wrote it for us. I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> you already know, let's be honest. Now, if you haven't already read Lee Ronaldo's review of Circuit Des You, make sure to head over to talkhouse.com and check that out. An incredible piece of writing for an incredible album. For behind-the-scenes content, make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We want to give big thanks to Carolina Berege for her coordination help at Pitchfork Fest this year for TalkHouse. And thanks a million to Pitchfork for hosting TalkHouse at the Fest again. Today's episode was recorded and co-produced by Mark Never Sleeps Yoshizumi. Our interns are... Julia Binswanger. And... Lauren McGrath. Now, Lauren, this is your last week here at TalkHouse. Thank you so much for everything you've done. You are a hilarious comedian. Tell our listeners where they can follow your comedy. Find me on Facebook at Laugh McGrath, L-A-U-G-H-M-C-G-R-A-T-H. Thanks so much for listening. Till next week, I'm Ellie Einhorn. I'm Annie Fell. Peace. See ya. What's up? This is Zola motherfucking Jesus. You're listening to the Talk House podcast. Listen up. Wait, now should I... <laughs> I don't know. I just kind Young Keys. Uh, oh, yeah, Wisconsin. No, um, this is Ola Jesus, and you're listening to the Talk House podcast. <laughs> <laughs>